It is the third Sunday of Advent, Gaudete Sunday. Uh, the Latin word in the, in the, in the Latin Mass is the first word of the introit, Gaudete. It's, a, it's an imperative, a command to joy. It is a call to rejoice in this dark season of Advent at the coming of our Savior into the world as a human being. It is also a call to rejoice, to have joy, possess the joy of one befitting the return of our King at the consummation of history when Christ returns with all his angels as our King and Judge. But it is also a call to joy today. For of the three comings of Advent uh, of our Savior during this time that we are asked to keep in mind, his first coming and his second coming, there is the perpetual coming of our Lord into our hearts by faith. Uh, the Lord visits us in the Mass through the word preached and the sacraments administered. He will be present to us on the altar when we receive him by faith. During this time in the church's life, we look to John the Baptist, that intense, somber prophet, the one whom we met last week preaching repentance in the wilderness. The axe is at the root of the trees, if you recall. He threatened to throw things into the fire. You brood of vipers, he said to his opponents. We see him again today in prison. And yet the church, during this time, directs us to look at John, today especially, because as one theologian claims, he is the most jubilant of all the saints. Some explanation is probably required to explain why this John the Baptist is joyful. It may seem absurd to us. Here is, by all accounts, a wild man in the wilderness, and now he is in prison today. His joy doesn't seem to square with the joy of today, the joy of the season. But John's own birth was miraculous. Recall the beginning of, of the gospel story with an angel appearing to John's father, who was a priest, offering a sacrifice in the temple. In his old age, he refused to believe that he and his wife could have a child. But then John comes, and we get a glimpse, the first idea that we gain of John in his joy is before he is even born. He is in the womb of his mother Elizabeth, the Blessed Virgin Mary's kinswoman. And Mary has just received the news that she will give birth to the Savior, and she, she goes to Elizabeth to share the news. And John, in his mother's womb, leaps for joy when he hears the voice of Mary. The secret to John's joy begins before he's even born. He hears the news, the word of God, and rejoices. And Jesus, in his mother's womb, consecrates John, sets him apart to be the last, to be the final, the fulfillment of the prophets, the one who would go before him to prepare our hearts, not only for his first advent, but his 
perpetual visitation to the church. And so our task today is to look to this John the Baptist to understand something of the joy that should characterize every Christian. Not an easy task. Not an easy prophet. John's vocation was to preach repentance and prepare the way. John was single-minded. His life and his vocation were one. He was a one-passion man. And this passion was also his joy. John the Baptist is always going before Jesus. But today we, we find him in prison. Ironic for the one promised by Isaiah, who also said that the Messiah would let the prisoners go. John, not only a follower of Christ, not only his forerunner, but his cousin is in prison. John is in prison for doing good. He upset Herod, but he also garnered a lot of attention and trouble for, for preparing the way for the Messiah. And now we find him in prison, suffering, and visited by his disciples. This is likely the first year of Jesus' ministry on the earth, and, and John had his own disciples who were curious about the Messiah. And they would visit John in prison, and they would ask him, is, is this the one we are to expect? The text seems to indicate that John himself, the witness of our Lord's arrival, the one who baptized him, has some doubts. And that is, a, that is a likely reading, an obvious reading. But 2,000 years of commentary in the church leads us to the consensus that John, in fact, was not the one who was doubting. He sends his disciples to Jesus for their sake and for our benefit. And so they arrive and and see Jesus and ask him, are you the one or should we look for someone else? Go and tell John what you hear and see, Jesus says. When our Lord came to earth, he did nothing but good. The beautiful promises that we heard read from Isaiah today all came true. The blind were given sight. The lepers were cleansed, the deaf could hear, the lame could walk, the dead were raised, and above all, the good news was preached to the poor. These many and great works which no other man did are such proofs of the divinity of our Lord that to disbelieve them is a sin, according to St. John. These miracles are precisely the signs of those things which the prophet Isaiah said the Messiah would do. But Advent is a time in the church's life when the things that we expect to see are not what they seem. During our Lord's first sojourn on this, on this earth, they were expecting a, a Messiah to make things right in the temporal realm, uh, a military leader, a political leader, not someone who would descend so far as to take care of the poor. 
And yet these signs, even if they are not totally convincing today for us of his divinity, we cannot ignore these signs because they point to the reality that only someone who is God, someone who himself came from that fountainhead of love who is God, would do. John's in prison for pointing to this man. These works of our blessed Lord contain the manifestation of God to sinners like you and me, showing that God's kindness leads us to repentance. They show us that God is love, or else we could not approach him in prayer at the altar. And to see this God in Jesus Christ and not to love him, that is the condemnation which John warns us of. The judge is at the door, as James says in our epistle. So what are we to make of this wild prophet who is supposed to be the most jubilant of the saints? All the saints of God are defined by one thing, their single-mindedness, our single passion to see the face of the Lord Jesus. And John is unique among the saints because he is the one who gets to pave the way. Even in prison, he is pointing his disciples and us to Christ. Even in his death by Herod, he is the forerunner of his cousin. He is his forerunner into the realm of the dead. He is preparing them for the arrival of the Messiah in the, in the world to proclaim good news to all, all God's children, living and dead. This is John's great joy. He always runs out ahead of our Savior. This evangelion, the word from which we get the gospel, this character is one who proclaims victory ahead of the king's return. And when Jesus comes, he is always flanked by this herald, John the Baptist, saying, here he is. And on the other side of our Lord, when he comes, is his mother saying, listen to him. This is, this is how we rehearse uh, not only the events of Christmas, but how we prepare our, our hearts to receive him by faith. All of, John action, all of John's actions were an outworking of this joy. But it, it struck me while preparing this sermon that if I had to choose someone to preach on joy, I would not choose myself. And this time of year is a difficult time for many. We, like John's disciples, are plagued by doubt. I doubt often. But a, a healthy understanding of doubt goes hand in hand with faith. Doubt reminds us that we are still in travail, still in waiting. 
and that the Christian's joy can also accompany our doubt, this, this patient waiting which we must practice when we, when we give attention to, to the things that God is doing, sometimes invisibly to us. When we see new faces in the church, it's so easy to miss. As we wait for the advent of our Lord, let us be aware, but also be comforted that our doubts, when approached, as John directs his disciples, turn us to Christ. There is then a final point in our gospel today, a blessing, a promise, a benediction from the lips of our Lord. Blessed is anyone who takes no offense at me. The word is literally a stumbling block. The person of Jesus Christ was no stumbling block to John. Whether or not he doubted, he pointed all to him. He joyfully ran ahead of him, even into hell. The Christian faith is one that can handle our doubts. Because our Savior is one who comes to us and shows us his wounds and says, I have been there. The hardest thing we have sometimes as Christians, is, the hardest thing I do as a priest is listening to someone tell me when the cancer has returned or when a loved one cannot believe. What do we do when our family members are suffering during this time when we hear this almost extravagant claim, this impossible command to rejoice? Blessed is anyone who takes no offense at me, Jesus says. And we, like Thomas, doubting Thomas, who we remember the Sunday after Easter, when our doubts come from the, from the standpoint of faith, when it is faith that is seeking and searching, that doesn't quite know the whole thing, but, but wants to believe, our Savior appears to us. He shows us his, his wounds, his pierced side, his, the prints of the nails in his hands. And he says, this is where your fears, your doubts, your unbelief are hidden. Emmanuel, God with us, is not a quaint image. It is a it is a God who becomes like us in every way and more. Salvation is not abstract. It is a person. And when this person who is our life appears, we shall also appear with him in glory. And our joy, which we may taste only in part today, will be complete. This is the kind of joy that can get us through this season, through all the seasons, the ups and downs of life. And so it, may it be our labor in this world to please him by
heeding the example of this John the Baptist, not being ashamed of his cross. And it shall be our joy and our crown of rejoicing today in his presence and at his final coming. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost.